0: Jesus was his name Some will say that he was just a man like you and me There was no greater reason why he came But if I could I take you to a humble little place Where these blinded eyes were made to see He opened up my heart and they saved me by his grace Now he means everything to me Here's to be, is to be my girl, is to be, Here's to be my heart, is to be- The cavalry, ready for all the crimes he had not done. It was there he fought eternal life for you and me, making sure the victory was won. How can I describe to you the blessing that is? I have never felt this love before. All I know is now I strive dream completely is. every day he is to be, he is to be my girl. He is to be, is to my love. He is to be, my savior.
1: In oh, my I place my trust.
0: He is to be, to my comfort. is to he is to be my joy. He is to be.
2: chapter 3 in your Bible, please, this morning. The book of Acts, chapter number 3. And I'll give you a second to find it, then we'll stand together and we'll read from the book of Acts, chapter number 3. All right, will you stand with me, please? And most of you are probably there. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Follow with me, if you will, please. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together with unto them in the porch that is called Salon's, greatly wondering. And you may be seated. My message today is a life changing day at the temple, a life changing day at the temple. We began the year with a big emphasis on the 4th of January, the first Sunday, and the mission statement that I announced for the year, and that I preached on that night, and we had a candlelight service to be able to give a visual demonstration of it, and that mission statement, theme, slogan, whatever you want to call it, is lighting our world with his love. Lighting our world, the emphasis on our too. Our world, meaning the world in which we live, that we can't change the world, but we can surely impact our own world, our world of family and friends and relatives and neighbors and associates and loved ones. And so we then brought in Dennis Nunn. We had this Every Believer a Witness meeting which was really a training effort to teach us and focus us and raise our awareness and our consciousness of our need to be taking the love of Jesus, taking the gospel, and taking it into the dark places around us and lighting our world with his love. Boy, I need not emphasize to you that the world is dark this morning. I need not tell you the condition of the country. I won't spend any time on that. So how is it that we plan to light our world with his love? And it's real simple. By witnessing. By sharing the gospel. Sharing the story of Jesus and the gospel and the, and the Christian faith that we hold so dear. And here today in the book of Acts chapter 3, the passage that I've read... Here is how Peter and John, two of the Lord's apostles, how they lit their personal world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they lit their world with his love. And we're just going to look at this passage this morning because there is so much to learn. The story is of of Peter and John going up together into the temple at the hour of Prayer. Well, you always go up when you go to the temple, when you go to the house of God. You're, you're heading in the right direction. You're not going down when you're going there to worship. They went at the hour of prayer, which is about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour here. And in the book of Acts, I remember early in my ministry, in my preparation years, I heard a, a, a wonderful, respected man of God he spoke about how that the book of Acts is a unique book. It's the only book of inspired history in the New Testament. And it gives, it's not a book of doctrine because it's a transitional book. Be careful about basing doctrine there because it's, it was written in a period of time when we changed from the, the Jewish order over to the Christian order. And so there's some problem passages there if you're not very careful in how you interpret them. However, the book of of Acts gives us the message that we're to get out. The focus is on the gospel of Christ, the message. But the book of Acts, and I remember him saying that there's been such a change in this direction today, but the book of Acts is not only a book about the message, it's a book about the methods. We hear a lot today well, you can change the methods if you don't change the message. Sometimes, The method and the message are so closely aligned, it's very difficult to change the method and not change the message. But boy, we find one method here that endures for all time, and that is simply the personal effort of people to share the gospel with other people in their circle of influence. That is the primary method by which the gospel has always been shared and is the most effective way for it to be shared. And so notice this story of a man who had a life-changing day at the temple. And Peter and John are going up there, as I said, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to prayer. And it's just a little passing insight here, but I want you to notice, and you might want to write it there beside verse 1 of chapter 3. They had a time and a place to pray. They had a time To pray and they had a place to pray. You know what I found out in my Christian experience? I have awfully good intentions to pray. But if you don't nail it down and have your time to pray, you probably will end up procrastinating and putting it off. They not only had a time to pray, they had a place to pray. My place is a chair in my study. And there's where I meet the Lord. The time is in the morning after I've read his word. I begin the day with the Bible in my lap. And then I think about the things I need to be praying for, and they're ever-changing every day. But if I don't do it then, and I, something interrupts me, something causes me to put it off, I will end up, and it'll be late up in the day, and it will dawn on me, hey, you haven't really even spent any meaningful time with the Lord today. Make sure you have a time. Make sure you have a place. When you meet with the Lord, that's what they model for us right here. And then I noticed something else as I look at that, because this is an account of evangelism, of sharing the gospel. I want you to notice that all great evangelism begins with prayer, that we pray for our lost loved ones and friends. We pray for those that we care about that don't know Christ. We pray and ask the Holy Spirit to intercede and to open their hearts, to show them their need, to convict them of their sins, to bring them to the realization that they really do need Christ. Because unless they come under conviction, we can give the gospel of them a thousand times and it will not make any difference. There is a supernatural dimension to evangelism. And that dimension is that we share the gospel of Christ and the power of the Spirit And that the Lord must open the hearts of people. We can't force people to be saved. We can't talk people into salvation. We can't sell them on it. They have to come because their hearts are opened and because they want to. And notice when they get to the temple, they meet this lame man. We're not given his name here. (coughs) The Bible says he had been lame from his mother's womb. So he was born with some handicap and he had to even be carried by friends or loved ones up to the place where he begged for his living at the temple and so here is this man and every day he's carried up here and he sits by a specific in a in, the, in a specific place it's by the gate of the temple which is called beautiful and the and the various entryways into the jewish temple had a name and this was the gate, beautiful, known for its beauty. And here's this man, lame, therefore he's helpless. Here is this man who can do absolutely nothing to help himself. Here's a man who is so poor, he is begging for a living. It has no means to even help sustain himself in life. And this man is representative of all people today, of course, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're helpless. They cannot purchase their way out of their predicament. The lame man represents the unsaved world. And nobody that day in this threesome, Peter and John and this lame man, none of them, whatever, uh, have any idea that this is going to be such an important day, a life-changing day at the temple. Notice with me, secondly, This is a model or an example or a pattern, if you will, for us in our evangelistic efforts. Look in verse number four. It begins with Peter fastening his eyes upon him. And I have here in my Bible written, a ministry of the eyes. We must first see the people around us. We must first see the people around us. I wonder how many times... Peter and John had been up to that temple. You know, they went up to the temple often with the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. And they're still going up there, same place. I I would almost venture to say that man had been sitting there for years and yet they had never seen him until today. They walked right by him maybe a hundred times and never even noticed this man walking right by him. But today for the first time, They saw him. And you know, I wonder how many of us are walking through unsaved people. The whole effort that we've been putting on here this month is to raise our consciousness, to create awareness of the lost people around us. You know, I sometimes sit and this thought comes to my mind. Well, I'm a pastor, and just about everybody knows me. I've been on television every Sunday morning for 28 years now. And uh, if I walk by, they're going to put on their halo effect. And uh, if I walk by, some of them will even go the other way. And uh, who am I going to witness to? I mean, I've tried to get the staff right with the Lord for a long time, but... You know, who am I going I go home and talk to Norma. I good possibility she's saved. Um, so here I am. Who in the world am I going to talk to? And I even pray, Lord, will you bring some unsaved people into my life? And then he brings them into my life. And sometimes I say, why, well, I didn't even see them. They're gone. And then I think, oh, I missed an opportunity. It will shock you. If you really become aware and very, very conscious of the people coming in and out of your life and crossing paths with you, it'll shock you how many unsaved people you really do come into contact with. They're everywhere. Now, I was thinking like this the other day and someone came into my life. I don't want to describe the person. I don't want to, They might be here even. But here's a person in a normal business engagement that we're having, and the person walks right into my life. And they were about to walk out, and then suddenly I became conscious. I need to talk to that person about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to just stop and think about your life. How many lost people, unsaved people, People that you are, or maybe they're saved and you don't know it, but how many people like that are coming in and out of your life, but we're not conscious of it. We're not aware of it. We're so engrossed in our own world and in our own life and in our own business that we, we don't even see those people when they come. And so for the first time, Peter saw this man sitting here who'd been here, no doubt for a long time. Something else I learned from this passage. Opportunity is right beside the church door. Opportunity is right beside the church door. You don't have to go to China or Africa or North Carolina or the next county to find unsaved people. We live in a world full of people that need to hear our story that Chris did so well telling his story this morning. You know what? Else I learned from this passage that there are people who are close to me but have great need. And we look at them and we don't think about their need. We don't think about what is going on deep in their heart and deep in their mind. Because again, we're so self-preoccupied much of the time. We have a little phrase, I think it's in our program this morning. And it talks about those who are close to us but are far from God. Who do you know that's close to you? Friend, relative, associate, neighbor, somebody you really care about. They're close to you, but they're not close to the Lord. They're far from God. I gave you a survey two weeks ago when I preached. It was made by, conducted by Lifeway Research, a division of the Lifeway bookstores. And their chief researcher is a man named Tom Rainer, who is a seminary professor up in Louisville, known for uh, his surveys and polling. And he studied, this is, about one of the, this is one of the largest polls I've ever seen in Christian circles. They polled 15,000 people in uh, churches across the country. Uh, had people from every state involved in the polls. So it's, it's a wide disbursement there. And they found out that 68 point something percent, almost 70 percent of the people polled there, unchurched and unsaved people, secular people, said they would be willing to hear the gospel if they could hear it from a family member or a friend or from someone they trusted at their church, but that they wouldn't be willing to hear it from other, other sources. Now think about that. Almost 70% of the unsaved people said, yes, I would be willing to hear the gospel. I would be willing to explore the claims of Jesus Christ, but I want to hear it from somebody that I trust, a family member, a friend, a relative. All of my life I've heard this and you've heard this. Well, it's so hard to witness to your family and to your friends and so on. Now think with me about that statement and if you do, you probably won't ever say it again. It's hard to talk to those that love you. You mean a, a ranked stranger who they know nothing about has more credibility with them than you do? And who loves them more than you do? Are you going to depend for the evangelism of your lost loved ones and friends on, a, on someone that doesn't care anything about them? Or you love them and, and, and you want you're you're concerned about them? No, 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 no. There are people close to us, family members and friends. Honestly, if we would win our little circle, our world, if we would just be faithful in evangelizing that, boy, I tell you what, we would see such progress, not only as a church, but as individuals and families, we could rejoice over what God was doing. I read through the stack of cards from last Sunday's services where you filled out your connection card, where you put comments on them. I flipped through those this week and looked at them, and it was such an encouragement to me. I guess there was a stack of cards probably this deep. The whole stack probably was about that deep, and there's about this many, probably a 100 or more, that gave specific illustrations of where you have been witnessing when, where you shared the gospel and told me about it and wrote it down. And it was such, I, I just was blessed to no end as I sat there and I thought, boy, a lot of our people are getting a hold of what I'm talking about. And some of you told me about witnessing to a server and some of you about giving out a tract, but others of you had extended conversations with people where you gave your story and then you began to talk to them and they had just opened up and you begin to share the good news and the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those cards particularly caught my attention because one of our ladies here, Penny, has an unsaved brother who lives in New York, New York State, a thousand miles away or more. And you know what she did? She's been praying for her brother. I've seen his name on that card before. And her heart has been stirred, obviously, by what we've been doing here And here's how she dealt with that. She went and bought a copy of uh, Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, a book that lays out by a former atheist and a journalist why he came to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. It's a wonderful book. If you ever want to get a book for a skeptic, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And she bought a copy of that and put a note in there and she mailed that to her brother in New York. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's lighting our world with his love. That's doing precisely what we're talking about, what Peter and John were doing here at, uh, at this time. But look in verse six. Not only is there a ministry of the eyes here, we must see, but in verse six, there's a ministry of the lips. Peter said, he said, and it's one thing to see the need, but we have to speak. There's no such thing as a silent witness. Silent witness? Are you kidding me? That's like a grape nut. It's not a grape nor a nut. And a silent witness, that's an oxymoron. No, there's no such thing as silent witnesses. True, we witness with our life, but we can't give the gospel with our life. We give the gospel The fact that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, we give, that has to be verbalized, that has to be stated. And so Peter spoke, and uh, he spoke to this man that day. In chapter number four, turn over there with me, if you will, please, and go down to verse 13. I want to show you that these early Christians were characterized by a single quality that comes. To the attention of us here in the book of Acts over and over. Chapter 4 and verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, now it doesn't mean they were not intelligent, it means they were not formally educated men, they were fishermen. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were not educated people, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The fact is their life just breathed the fact that they had walked with and known the Lord Jesus Christ. And these early Christians are characterized by this quality of boldness. Now I pray, Lord, help me to be bold in my witness for you. And I'm sure that many of us need to pray that same thing. Now if you'll go down chapter four and verse number 13, but go to verse 29. Chapter 4 and verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. We have it again. The people around them, notice they are characterized by boldness. Go down to chapter 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God. How? With what? boldness. They're characterized by boldness. I've preached on those verses many times. Many of you have heard me already. And I've, I think after these years, I kind of pick up something when I talk about Christian, be bold in your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's something about the word bold that must be misunderstood in our culture, in our paradigm of that word. And here's what I mean. I think that somehow Christians are afraid of that word boldness today, that we think that has something to do with being overly aggressive, of being offensive to people, uh, of boldness being like you're brash. You're not sensitive to the people about you socially. You don't care. You're just a bull in a china shop running roughshod over people you're just going to get in there and tell them about Jesus and thump them with the Bible and it doesn't matter what, how you do it. And that's not at all what that word has in mind. That's not at all. Do you ever see that that kind of overly aggressive brash approach in the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Jesus Christ was absolutely sensitive and thoughtful of the people around him. And The word boldness doesn't have anything to do with being brash and in your face. The word boldness has to do with the idea of being confident, of being assured, of knowing that what we're doing is the right thing and that we know how to do it and do it well. And so we've been spending a lot of time asking you to shape your testimony. And Chris worked on his, I don't know how long, and he and Ryan were working on theirs. And we've had these testimonies, people up here giving their story. And we're asking you, look, shape that thing. Say it in three minutes. Tell what you were before you knew the Lord. Tell how you came to know the Lord. Tell the difference that it's made in your life. He told you about what difference it's made in his life. And say it all within three minutes. Because when you're sitting out somewhere in a restaurant or in a business conversation, you don't have 30 minutes. You're not a preacher. It's not a sermon. You're saying it, and you're saying it very quickly. You're not giving all the details of the gospel because you don't have time to give the entire plan of salvation. What you're doing, though, is asking the Lord to use your spiritual story to open up people's interest in their hearts And to give you an entree into them that you can follow up. And later on, perhaps you can talk to them. Because most of the time, people don't get saved the first time we talk to them anyhow. And so most of the time, it's a process and a relational thing that we're going through with them. Where we're building confidence with them. So no, when the Bible talks about being bold, it's not talking about hammering people and slamming them just because you have an opportunity. It's talking about just being confident that if I will share my story and in a winsome and wise and kind way, that in time, the Lord Jesus Christ can use that. I know this is also what it means. It means that if Jesus is in my mind, he's going to come out my mouth because the things that we think about and are interested in, those are the things that in life we talk about. So verse four is a ministry of the eyes. We must first see these people around us. Verse six is a ministry of the lips. We must speak to these people as Peter and John did to this man. And verse seven, it's a ministry of the hands. If you'll note there in verse number seven of chapter three, he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. He took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. And so we must see We must speak and we must do. Now, notice this blind or this lame man here had asked Peter and John for an alms for money. And what did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money, sir, but here's what I do have. And that's when he shared with him. And here's what I want you to understand. Peter didn't give the man what he wanted. He gave him what he needed. He didn't just give him what he wanted. He could have given him money and it would have helped him temporarily. But boy, what Peter gave him helped him permanently and eternally. He didn't give him what he wanted. He gave him what he most needed. Now, thirdly, we've looked at the story of this man, this life-changing day at the temple. We've looked at how that's a model for us, that we can study this passage and see a pattern for how we are to open up our eyes and see with fresh eyes things we've not seen before. How that we can speak and how that we can extend a hand of ministry to people and work with them. But I want you to notice thirdly with me how God changed this man's life. God changes lives. God changed his lives. This man was changed, so changed. Look with me. Verse number seven, it says, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And so he leaped up then, verse eight, first part of the verse. So instantly there was a physical change in this man. He was healed of his lameness. Look in verse eight though, continue. And entering with them into the temple, he is walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, from sitting here as a beggar, helpless. Now this man ends up walking and leaping and praising God. So he is praising the Lord. His spirit has changed. His body has changed physically. His spirit has changed emotionally. He's been Healed, he is euphoric at what God has done for him. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was the same man which had sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And the people around him were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. So he has changed visibly. Everybody can see the change, he's changed physically. He's changed emotionally, his spirit is new, and he's changed visibly. Everybody else can see it externally as well as he. There is a good Bible word, and we used to use this word in Christian circles. Baptists preached on it constantly. You, You rarely hear the word anymore. And I thought about it as I studied this week what happened to that word? Why do we no longer use that word? Why did it go out of use in our vocabulary? What is the word? Converted. Converted. People used to talk about, I got converted. What does convert mean? It means to change something, to change the very nature of something, to change it from one thing into another thing. Sam Jones used to say, I had so many converts in a meeting. DL Moody would talk about his converts, the people who had undergone this wonderful change in their life. And somehow or other, that word has gone beside the boards. We don't hear preachers and Christian people using the term. He was converted. Somebody got converted at our church service this morning. And I'm afraid we've Made a mistake letting that word go. Because even the word saved doesn't imply change in the same dramatic way that the word converted does. I used to do this. I used to live like this, but I was converted one day. Meaning my life took on an entirely different hue. I'm a new person. They emphasize that change in those days. We don't today, sadly. Most of the time, we don't even talk to people about receiving the Lord in a specific uh, invitational experience. I was out last week, and so I was, had the TV on as I lay in bed, and I was watching Billy Graham, an early Billy Graham. I mean 25, 30 years ago. And he was preaching in this great stadium out in California, in Anaheim. And then at the end of it, he talked about people coming, and he talked about... Christ will change your life. And he talked about conversion, that you're not going to be the same if you truly are saved. I heard this story about D.L. Moody and somebody one day, I guess, was sort of being sarcastic with him. They said, Mr. Moody, back when he was the outstanding evangelist in the world, 1890s back in there. Mr. Moody, I met one of your converts the other day. And he was intoxicated. And they sort of smirked at Moody. And he said, well, it must have been one of mine. He surely wasn't the Lord's. <laughs> and we don't think in that, we don't even think in that manner now. Oh, well, you know, yeah, he's, he's saved. He made a profession, but he's, you know, he hasn't. And we pass all that off. No, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature a new creature, that's still in the Bible. If any man truly comes to Christ, there's a process, of conversion that begins in his life here. We're not different to be different. Christianity doesn't make us different to be weird. Don't get it confused. We're not talking about being different just to be different. But we're different because something has happened in us That gives us hope and forgiveness and changes us and frees us and puts the Holy Spirit within us. And because of that, it empowers us to change and to move from sin to a life of freedom. Not a perfect life, because none of us are perfect, but a life that is so different from the lives of the world around us where people do not have Christ in their life. Now, when all this happened here, a sequence of events begins, and let's just quickly go through them. Look in chapter three. I read down through verse 11, and everybody sees this man leaping and praising God. But in verse number 12, when Peter saw it, the people gathered together in a great mass looking at this man. He answered them, you men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? I didn't do anything but give him the hope of Christ. And Peter then begins to preach and he goes, he stands in front of a great crowd, if you can imagine, and he's preaching the gospel to them. He goes all the way down through verse number 26 there. With his sermon, he preaches the gospel and he preaches about Christ at the temple. You will see that he very clearly talks about the crucifixion, the death of Christ. Look in verse 15. You kill the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead. There's the gospel in one verse. Christ died for our sins and he was resurrected. And he says to those people, but we are his witnesses. There's our word. It's everywhere here when you begin to look for it. And he preaches the gospel to them. Now, look in chapter 4, what happens, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved, upset that they taught the people and preached through Christ the resurrection from the dead. There it is again. Christ died and he resurrected. And they laid hands on Peter and John and put them in the hold or in the prison until the next day, for it was now even And so they're arrested for sharing the gospel and witnessing for Christ. Look at verse four, however. Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now they started with 120 people in an upper room. And now they have 5,000 men, not counting women and children. We don't know how many they have, but this thing is exploding because every believer is a witness at this time in history. Notice, if you will, in verse 13, a little later, time is passing here, but they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And in verse 14, they also beheld the man who had been healed, standing with them. Time has passed, but their convert is still standing. He is still there identifying with them. He's not turning back. God has done such a wonderful thing in his life. In chapter four, verse 18, notice the sequence. And the authorities then come to them and call them and command them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. And that's where in verse 19, Peter and John say to them, whether it's right to speak in his name or not, you have to make the judgment, but we cannot restrain ourselves. Verse 20, 19 and 20 there. We've got to speak about this one who is so precious to us and who changed our lives. Now, look up here with me if you will. Here's the thing. Peter and John went to the temple and they met this man With such great need. And they witnessed to him of Christ, and his life was changed. The whole city talked about the marvelous change in his life. And they began to be persecuted for that. But here's the point I want you to get from the message today What is it that we can do as members of the Florence Baptist Temple? What is it that we could do to make every single Day and especially every Sunday, a life changing day at the Baptist temple. What can we do? Well, I'll tell you what, it's real clear. Let me quickly review. Number one, we can pray, write down, make you a prayer list, and say, Lord, I am going to pray for these people that you've brought into my life friends, family, relatives, neighbors the repairman who comes to my house to fix the washing machine, the mechanic that I get a chance to talk to, the server at the restaurant, the neighbor down the street, the guy on our bowling team, wherever and whoever. But Lord, I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to pray for them as long as they are in my life that you will soften their hearts. Pray for the loss that they will be responsive especially our family members. Number two, we can see them. Lord, open my eyes that I'll see those people nearest to me, but furthest from you. People that I haven't even thought about before, but they so desperately need you. Number three, we can speak to them. Polish your story and your testimony and get it to where you can say it as I described earlier. Be able to tell people articulately and wistfully and powerfully with real concern, real conviction what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And lastly, do something. Extend our hands. Demonstrate through our lives our love and our concern for the people around us. Give them a hand. Extend the hand to them as Peter did to this man. And God will use you You know, if you'll take that little formula, I would be surprised if there'd be anybody in this this church that would not have the joy of leading someone to a saving faith, a life-changing faith by the time next year rolls around. God can use you, and he will, and he wants to. Let's make ourselves available to him. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Our
1: my might seem one.
2: You have been watching my message, A Life-Changing Day at the Temple, and I'd like to apply that for just a moment by giving you a very warm invitation to come to the Florence Baptist Temple. You know, people come and visit our church. Sometimes they're searching for the Lord, and sometimes they're looking for a church home or whatever their motivation may be for coming, but here they hear the Word of God preached in every service. They hear the gospel often given every Sunday, and they hear singing that stirs their heart by our choir, and our soloist, and our orchestra. They find a hospitable, loving community of believers here at the Baptist Temple, and their lives over time are changed. We are a church whose aim is to help people in two ways, to help them come to know Christ as their Savior. And then to help them develop and grow and live a Christ-like, even a godly life. And so today, when you come to the Baptist Temple, it can be the beginning of a life-changing experience for you, just like the man who went up to the Jerusalem Temple in the message I've just preached. So let me give you the warmest possible invitation. Come and see us soon at the Baptist Temple. Sunday school is every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Classes for every age. The worship service is at 10.30 a.m. And then again, Sunday afternoons at 6 p.m. We have a wonderful attendance. Our Sunday evening services are specifically directed to help you in your Christian life if you're a believer. So I want you to know that you're more than welcome. You're wanted, and I hope to see you soon. And it, I trust that it will be it will be the beginning of a life changing day for you at the Baptist Temple.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Baptist Temple Hour. If you would like a copy of today's program, send your request and payment to the Florence Baptist Temple, P.O. Box One Two Eight Zero Nine, Florence, South Carolina, Two Nine Five Zero Four. Be sure to include today's date and the title of today's message and please allow two to three weeks for delivery. For more information about the Florence Baptist Temple, visit our website at www.fbt.org. We also want to extend to you an invitation to join us in person. Sunday school starts every week at 9 a.m., and the service begins immediately following at 10.30. Once again, the church family at the Florence Baptist Temple wants to thank you for tuning in this week We hope to see you next week for another edition of the Baptist Temple Hour.